people when you design for accessibility you don't say click here to proceed what is here mean someone for someone using assistive technology say please yeah. click this button and how long does it take for you to replace here with button yeah and someone who's using screen reader some people are not legally blind but almost the verge of they have to use magnifying glasses and other things so i say when you write you are writing a button uh, click here to continue proceed there very ambiguous don't make it as ambiguous as it just and also use simple colors have white background uh, because there's gray scaling colors don't pick up on projectors a certain way on computers a certain way when you're recording videos they can be glare Hello and welcome to Tech Talks. I'm your host Madonna. In this episode, I sit down with Vaishnavi, a DEI, neurodiversity and accessibility champion. We'll be talking about fostering collaboration, DEI and accessibility in tech. Make sure you follow her on all social platforms. So today I'm joined by Vashinavi and it's such an honor to have you here today. You have an amazing background and we connected through Women Tech Makers Ambassador. I know the Women Tech Makers Ambassador is one of the amazing programs I've been to because I've made super amazing women. And today I'm wearing my head wrap red because yeah, why not? I also have my headphones and I'm wearing, is this gray, like a gray dress? I'm wearing a, a gray dress. Uh, for my hands, I have a little bit of, because I do a lot of hand gestures. That's why I just like machine my hands. I have one nail that clipped, which is ter- ter- terrible. See this one? It's oh, so it's it's a mess, but it's okay. <laughs> That's me. How about you? <laughs> Hi, thank you, Marana, for the invitation. I think I'm I'm wearing a nice uh, sweatshirt because hey fall winter's coming it's fall season mm-hmm. and uh, yeah I'm wearing a nice pajamas because mm-hmm. why not when you work from home you could wear formal top and have pajamas and nobody would know or do they at least the podcast wouldn't know. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I love that. I love the fact that you mentioned you're wearing pajamas because when I think about it, nobody has ever come with pajamas to make sure they're always prepared and they're like, I want to be ready. Like, I've made people and like they're so dressed and I'm like, oh my god, you look very beautiful. And like, you too. And I'm like, no, you look more beautiful. <laughs> so today, when you mentioned pajamas, I'm like, yeah, we need to do the podcast with pajamas. And one day, definitely, maybe we can even get a spot and then we can invite all our guests to like a live show and then we can do them with pajamas for real. <laughs> totally. okay. Whatever is so comfortable. And I wish we mm-hmm. had many pajamas in a formal wear uh, print. So oh, you wow. have the texture, but the comfort mm-hmm. of pajamas and it's 7 a.m. So I'm legally still... <laughs> allowed to wear pajama or even if through the day it doesn't matter my work would speak volumes it's not who I am yeah who I as long as mm-hmm. I'm wearing clean attire it's just clean it's not yeah. which which also can happen as parents right we have sometimes I smell food and oh this was from the puree I was making last night the pumpkin puree still smells somewhere oh. Oh. Yeah. but I think that's the beauty of motherhood we just embrace yes. it all mm-hmm. uh, you know, you have kids, various levels of, various degrees of, that comes out. So I, I, I'm proud of everything, but yeah, currently wearing a nice comfortable sweatshirt. 
amazing and I, when you were talking about that I was like that's a startup idea like we need to have that <laughs> these days I think in setup ideas okay cool so please introduce yourself to our audience hello I'm a software engineer I've been working with electronic arts in uh, Burnaby British Columbia Canada for uh, yeah, four years right now and overall I've been in the industry for 15 years now okay that's a decade and a half and uh, my career overall has been very linear in life. It's always computer science. I think that's what uh, has been a passion. But over a period of time, I think uh, when I was in my late, uh, early 20s, I wasn't aware of who I am. Why do I look different? Why do I think different? Why do I see things that others don't see or perceive or feel? And then it, it wasn't till the last five, six years, I was aware of what neurodiversity entails. I always knew it was different. And sometimes, traditionally, culturally, you just think that, oh, someone's a late bloomer, or someone just doesn't get it, or she's slow. You know, we, we all have these tags upon ourselves. But over a period of time, when I discovered myself, I was able to bring that onto my the products I do, the products I deliver, the software I build. Mm -hmm. so outside of that, uh, I also speak at conferences. Mm -hmm. mostly tech sometimes non-tech and mm -hmm. uh, I mentor a lot of people and it's my dream someday to become a teacher so that I'm not just programming on my computer but I'm actually influencing more set of people yeah uh, one student at a time I love that now you did mention something very important that I see that really translates into your career which is neurodiversity and accessibility do you want to talk to us more about how that has been the challenges you faced and what are what ways are you shaping a better world for neurodiverse people when uh, when people think of neurodiversity I tell them uh, again uh, no offense when I use a certain term, I, I say that it's a social disability, but it's a social model of disability. It's the way sometimes people have social interactions, the intellectual conversations, the emotions and behavior. Uh, a neurotypical person can be boxed a certain way. And even all the softwares that we design mostly are catered to neurotypical users. Oh, you look at this, you click this. But a uh, neuro, uh, neurodiverse person would look at it Oh, the color is too overwhelming. Oh, it's it's too bright on me. Oh, this is uh, the senses are overwhelming. It's overstimulating. So the emotions and behavior takes over so much of that person that what they intend to do gets lost because of these external stimulations. Sometimes internal, it can also trigger anxiety or other forms of uh, uh, inconvenience. So that's that's how I uh, define neurodiversity, mm -hmm. where I tell that you know. Mm -hmm. You have to design kind of products. You have to design forgiving products. Don't tell, oh, what you did was wrong. Oh, you entered an incorrect password, but just be yeah. gentle, just guide them, you know. So uh, that is where I I tell people this is what neurodiversity means. It's, it's just that great minds actually think different. They don't think yeah. alike. That is so true. That's a very good point because for some reason I get frustrated by passwords. I, I don't know. It really frustrates me. <laughs> I know. Like if I enter your password, 
and the first and second time it it's it's wrong and i i knew that was the pastor that i thought it was it really frustrates me and i really don't know why but it does so thank you very much for sharing that with us so i don't know i, I want to ask you another question which let's talk about empathy which is is often cited as crucial component of creating user-centric products as you just mentioned that which is super cool now how do you cultivate empathy within your development process and how can others do the same because you mentioned something very important that really resonated with me. For instance, the password. I mean, I get frustrated and things don't really frustrate me that much. So please talk to us about that. Empathy is actually cornerstone uh, in any stage of engineering, but it mm -hmm. actually starts in the prototyping phase. So you, when you incorporate accessibility, neurodiversity, empathy, you start from the time you're discussing your budgets, your process. So it's it's always a de facto. So from day one, you're doing that. And when I say empathy, I say when you, let's say you're writing code, you're designing software, you're even testing or implementing, don't think from your perspective. Because uh, the, the set of uh, categories I mentioned, uh, neurodiverse people, accessible people, these are all so-called in software engineering terms, categorized as edge cases, corner cases. Oh. On an average, six out of 10 people, they would understand that these the four or two are common cases. But hey, most of the software engineers I know of are neurodiverse. It's just that they're discovering themselves. Sometimes it's later in their life, sometimes earlier in their life. We are not corner cases. We are pretty much in the game. We are not out of bounds, right? When, when I talk about empathy, it's as simple as, uh, let me give you an example. Your audience could also be outside of software engineering, right? Let's say you, have a work environment. A normal mm -hmm. person would just come, there are like artificial lights, room lights, mm -hmm. and then just uh, tea, coffee. There is like a coffee machine going on, someone's chattering in the next room. You mm -hmm. can hear a coworker talking on the phone. There is movement, someone wore stilettos. Yeah. So some people, it doesn't matter, but for a neurodiverse people, these are all triggers. Now, wow. Can you pause there? Because you said something very important when I think about it. I've heard people say they can code with music, but it really annoys me when I code and then there's a lot of noise around me or especially in the morning too, I'm very affected by noise. I just like my own silent. The TV should be off most of the time. So this is a very, this is a very great point you're mentioning. Sorry, keep going, keep going because now I'm starting to recognize things that I didn't even think about. <laughs> exactly. I can't multitask. I, I can't have music on and more so if I have music where I have emotions associated with, let's say I hear 90s music and this is what I grew up in the 90s and I'm like, it transports me back to mm -hmm. that state rather than what I'm supposed to do, which is like cooking, coding or whatever, right? And then for me, I struggle with multitasking. Either mm -hmm. I could just listen to music, watch, or I can't multitask. Some people can uh, cook while watching this and that. I think I, I struggle. But coming back to the example, right? Mm -hmm. Design effects, design should also think of five senses. So when you look at the work environment, light, is there a way to dim it? Because for me, even my light is too strong. So I have a, a smart light where I can dim based on the mood, uh, based on my state of mind, so to say. Acoustics, is there an echo? You know, so many places are designed to be soundproof, but are they soundproof? Sometimes it's soundproof, but when you're talking, it echoes. So the acoustics should be taken care of. Color, is it yeah. too bright? You know, people could be color sensitive, color blind, sequencing, yeah. compartmentalization, transition, sensory issues, mm -hmm. you know, 
sometimes you need an escapist room or escapist environment. It could just be that smell of coffee, that restoration. So imagine these in the real civil engineering world, but when you translate that into software, you say color. Am I having too much magenta? Am I having too much lilac? You know, mm -hmm. am I just overwhelming audience with so much content? So think of real case and then just translate into the same thing on product. How do you compartmentalize and have a user transition flow? Mm -hmm. so that is how I would like to say uh, empathy is built upon. And more your empathy, empathetic yeah. means keeping less. Less is minimal. Less is good. You don't have yeah. to do a thousand things. You just need to use one thing. Yeah. Do it well. Example, password. Maybe my caps lock was on and there was, and most of the people when they're typing over a period of time don't look at the keyboard because they actually know where the keys are placed. Yeah. So the, that's the <laughs> that's the caps lock that has actually caused the trouble. And then you land up going changing password only to realize the caps lock is on. Or you gently nudge the user. Even before you create a password, my requirement is one lowercase, one uppercase, 13. You tell them upfront. So many times I've created just to put, submit and it then tells me these are the requirements, right? It Thank you. All is that. It really pisses me off a lot. <laughs> yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. And sometimes when it is 13 characters, I can't remember what I ate last night. How am I supposed to remember a new password? Of course, we have password managers, no offense to password managers, but sometimes you get up what I'm saying. There's a saying mm -hmm. that given a choice between dancing pigs and high level of security, users prefer dancing pigs because it's easy. You know, you have too many layers and complicated things. Your intentions may be best, but it doesn't translate. So then you lose customers and users eventually. Amazing. Well, you mentioned a key word there, which was accessibility. And I just want to I just want you to walk us through. I mean, I feel like you've walked us through the example of how accessibility might merge into your work. But do you mind just sharing more a little bit on this, like examples of how you've incorporated accessibility yourself and how people can actually do that? Because you mentioned the empathy part, which really translated very well. Because when I think about it, I mean, like I said, I cannot code with music. It's too distracting for me. I cannot do it. I get affected by perfumes it really triggers me. There's a certain perfume that I cannot deal with. I get a migraine that does not go away, but I can deal with other perfumes. Like the um, lavender is okay with me. Like lavender will soothe me and will make me feel better. And the quiet one, but anything that's loud, it messes my entire day. So these are things that are around us that affect us that we don't even think about. And I mean, for us to be productive, we have to, because if I smell a perfume that's not productive that day as an engineer, I'm not going to work. I will have a migraine. I will just want to sleep. I will feel like I want to throw up, like so many mixed reactions because of just a perfume. So I can imagine how those other little things might affect like engineers. So please talk to us about accessibility and what you're doing to just make sure that like you're building products that are accessible. Yeah. After this call, I'll talk to you about perfumes and how it impacts certain memory segments in your brain. No, you can mention too on the on. Yeah, you can mention here in the book because it really, I'm like, I'm going to learn a lot. So let me give the stage back to you. Memory and music, perfume, right? It brings certain nostalgia factor. Let's say there was a certain music that you heard at your parents' place, example, it could it could be a good memory, it could be something traumatic, it could remind you of someone you hate, it could remind you of someone you love, 
it could remind you of your parents, let's say, who are not around and you listen, it transports you, you might have emotions, you could break down. So anything that have, has been associated with your childhood can always trigger when you have that particular music. Not so much the later part because uh, the childhood, your formative years is where all the memory segments are formed. Same with uh, perfumes. I've heard the uh, film stars, movie, movie stars and actors tell them that they use uh, one perfume for a movie so that when they're using the perfume, there are some actors who shoot multiple roles in multiple films too, right? So they have a particular, uh, they, they would pick on a particular fragrance, let's say musky, let's say floral, depending on the role, depending on uh, what the movie and the emotions feel like. And the moment they just spritz it and spray it on themselves, they get to that zone. So again, perfume can also take you to a memory segment in your brain or bring about an emotion. So let's say, you'll say, oh, lavender, I'm in movie set A. Throughout that, you just use lavender. So your mind says, okay, you are in this. And then once you move on, you don't use that because again, it will bring you back to, because even if acting is, it's not real, but you need to kind of go into that state and think that that is the real one. And I have to make justice to that, right? Okay, uh, I'll, I can go on, but coming back to your uh, accessibility part, yeah. there are two things, one of my favorites, I repeat it all the time. There's a, actually, uh, there's a famous accessibility saying that nothing about us without us. Yeah. Right? That means these are not just words. These slogans have been adopted by the disability community to highlight that the need for full and direct participation in all decisions actually can impact their lives. Yeah. For example, motherhood. Someone is making motherhood policies, defining maternity policies, defining how many days can we take off. Uh, is it a normal delivery? Is it a vaginal delivery? A cesarean, right? But if you don't involve parents who actually been through, or for example, mothers or caregivers who have actually done that, a policy can never make justice because you have to live that experience vicariously for you to make policies. So that's first thing, nothing about us without us. Always remember that. If you want to make change, you need to be the change. Simple. Second thing, uh, there's a effect called the curb cut effect. So when you say curb, you see wheelchair users, right? They need to access the road, the ramp. They just have to go on the ramp. That's called the curb, right? When you, when there was, when the curb cut effect started, wheelchair users couldn't easily access the road, access places where they could take the wheelchair on. So. Post-1990, there was a Disability Act where they said curb is mandatory so that every wheelchair user is able to access the road. So they could just take their wheelchair and then just navigate from one end of the road to other, get on the footpath and the pedestrian walkway. But who benefited? Eventually, parents who have strollers, the delivery guys with this big buggy, passengers with their trolleys and suitcases, Everyone benefited, even skating people, bicyclists, scooters. So that's that's how it is. So you start segmenting a small set of people whom you are primarily directing at, but the impact is creating a ripple effect to everybody. So think of these everybody as the strollers, the mums, the wheelchair, uh, the uh, scooters, bicyclists, and other people. So the wheelchair user was the main focus, and then the curb cut effect benefited everyone. So. When you talk about accessibility and you design for accessibility products, you start actually doing it for a certain sector, but always keep in mind that 
it's not just you're catering to the uh, corner case user or the edge case user, which is just one or two people out of 10. But then the moment it is that one or two people you address, the remaining eight people are also benefited. Imagine as mothers, if I didn't have the curb cut effect act in 1990s, I wouldn't push the wheelchair. I would have literally carried it on the road and then put it on the platform and then gone and then brought it down. It, it wouldn't have made an effect. Again, mm -hmm. think of the same thing on software. Mm -hmm. When you cater to the, uh, when you cater and have the right set of software, pleasing mm -hmm. colors, it can even cater to introvert, empathetic products. When you cater to accessibility needs, screen readers, mm -hmm. assistive technologies, it can actually benefit. Listen, uh, imagine you know you and I are talking, we are having, yeah. we talk so much, and someone doesn't have time. They want to listen to it on a podcast platform, and you can't just say, "Hey, see this." What does see this mean in an audio world? Compared yeah. to video in video world, this is seeing this. You see a mm -hmm. cup of coffee, which I've almost finished. Mm -hmm. But in audio world, it just doesn't matter what are they seeing. Mm -hmm. So the very first statement that you started with, "What am I wearing?" and you described it. So for people who actually are listening, it could be busy parents, someone's working out in the gym, or someone who can't legally see. Mm -hmm. Okay, you see the curb cut effect. You are designing for so many people. It yeah. can, and then this, the imagination starts flowing here. When you don't see, your other senses are very heightened. Yeah. Then you start imagining, oh, lilac, how does lilac look like? How does lavender, how does a sweatshirt look like? Mm -hmm. It can just captivate you, imagine. So yeah. translating everything in real life, that's why that's the power of storytelling. Software is not anything beyond your real world. Whatever yeah. you see in real term, just translate. Yeah. Right? That's why when I tell people when you design for accessibility, you don't say click here to proceed. What does here mean Someone for someone using assistive technology? Say, please yeah. click this button. And how long does it take for you to replace here with button? Yeah. And someone who's using screen reader, some people are not legally blind, but almost on the verge of they have to use magnifying glasses and other things. So okay. I say when you, write, you are writing a button, uh, Click here to continue, proceed there. Very ambiguous. Don't make it as ambiguous as it. Just and also use simple colors, have white background because, uh, because there's grayscaling. Colors don't pick up on projectors a certain way, on computers a certain way. When you're recording videos, they could be glare, even when you're. Uh, so, coming back to your point, yeah. always keep in mind cupcake effect, nothing about us without us. When you just, just have the philosophy embedded in your head. Everything you write, everything you do, you feel like, oh, is it too much? Is it too little? Yeah. The more you know, is not very Yeah. You mentioned something very important and I'm thinking about it now and I feel guilty because as an engineer, I've done that before, like click here. But now when I'm thinking about it out loud, what does click here actually mean for people that cannot see? So I feel like sometimes you might be having those unconscious biases without even knowing, especially to accessibility. So thank you for calling that out because I really appreciate that because now I'm thinking so many people resonate with this because we've done that I feel like I've done that without knowing that it was not a good thing to do because I've done click here what is here <laughs> okay so finally uh looking ahead what is your aspiration goals for the future you know both in terms of your work as a software engineer and your advocacy efforts in your area and things you're passionate about and what can you also tell people who want to learn more about what you're doing and how they can get involved. Right. 
I can think of this answer at so many levels. At the corporate level, at the individual level, I, I feel every organization should have an employee resource group catering to different users, catering to women champions, catering to, uh, let's say, Asian Pacific Island, the community, catering to, let's say, LGBTQIA plus the pride community. Because when you identify yourself, you don't feel alone. So my organization has amazing employee resource groups. They actually have catered to pretty much everyone. Oh, you are a Latin American, there is a SOMOS group. You uh, you are Black, there's another ERG group. So because when you feel the sense of belonging and when we are all working from home, it's not like you can meet everyone. But when I'm in that group and I say something, people get it. When it when I say something in a different group, group in a different Slack channel, nobody would even root for me. But my people, they might not know a thing. You know, if you remember Mean, mean Girls movie with Reese with, with the school saying that, oh, I got an admission in Harvard. Their friends don't know what Harvard means. They think they're going to a party. They're like, yeah. oh, go back and watch that part of the movie. Their friends, they have, they're very, uh, I, would, I wouldn't say privileged, but I think they just don't care. They just want to dress up and just look happy. Yeah. But they always cheer for Reese with the school in that movie. It's, it's like that, right? So that's how the advocacy groups are. I do yeah. not know everything. Sometimes I'm venting. A yeah. fellow parent may not know what it feels like because their child hasn't gone through that phase. Mm-hmm. But they know what I'm going through. Mm-hmm. You And someone shouldn't be saying, oh, this is not as hard as compared to me losing my father. Mm-hmm. Like, how would you know, right? So, yeah. so this is a, the employee resource group. Like, organizations can do better. Yes. And uh, at the next level where I'm at, if you want to bring that change, you can't just be influencing sitting mm-hmm. here to a small sector of people. That is yeah. where I always aspire to be a teacher, a professor, where perhaps I may do different jobs, I may do the same thing over and over. Mm-hmm. But then I see, imagine you had the best teacher that was influenced you. And you just mm-hmm. go back and see out of 15, 20 people, if they have influenced one or two, and then just identify that potential. Mm-hmm. There was that hidden talent nobody noticed but then they identify in sports so growing um, eventually in the next few years I would definitely see myself teaching mm-hmm. because all the great leaders that we know of in current generation brought about change being the political system economical financial situation by taking over the change mm-hmm. just putting themselves at a place where they can bring that influence so that's the answer to your question that is amazing. Thank you so, so much for being with us today. You've shared incredible views on such an amazing topic. And you made me realize so many things that I've been, you know, just thinking about them myself. And I'm going to just dig deeper and just look into that and also be more accessible and also try to implement those empathies, especially now that I'm also building a startup. So those are things that I will highly like have in my company, like people look into because that's how we learn. I feel like I learn so much every day. Yes, most of my time, I'm always engineering and building software, but also most of the time, I feel like I'm learning from other people because something you mentioned there, again, I'm just going to go to this point, which when you mentioned click the button here, I've done that. And I feel so guilty right now. That's the beauty of learning. It's never too late on anything. It's never... Involve mm-hmm. your senses, I tell you, the light, brightness, acoustics, color, sequencing, compartmentalization, sensory yeah. experience, never overwhelm your user. Mm-hmm. Right. That is so true. 
So thank you so much again for being part of Tech Talks with Madonna and I truly appreciate you. Bye.